Welcome to The Frick, episode 7054, I think. 54, 55, um, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, 54. Rounded up, 60, yeah. Yeah, yeah, 69, why not? So, Ghost in the Shell, what 2017. We just watch, yeah, <laughs> Ghost in the Shell live action. So, who wants, do you want to go, you go first, because uh, actually, I'm going to give, so, there's a couple of things here. There's a, cave, oh, there's a, a caveat. <laughs> there, there is a caveat here. I am a fan a very specific fan of Ghost in the Shell. I am not even remotely unbiased about this. I've tried to be rational about this movie, but I am un- by no means unbiased because Ghost in the Shell 1995, the English dub, is without hyperbole probably one of if my the favorite film of mine. It's I've watched it probably more than any other film in my collection. I've seen it literally dozens of times. I think it is a fantastic piece. Do I think it's perfect? No, but that's a discussion for another day. The The point is this movie is leveraging from that, and we'll get into that. This is coming from a fan of the franchise. I'm not a fan of Ghost in the, Ghost in the Shell standalone complex. I haven't seen Arise. I haven't seen the new movie, which came out about a year before this, so who the hell knows? So there's a lot of different canons and continuities going on. I'm talking about my sentiments lie with the 1995 English dub on which this is presumably based and that's foreshadowing to the max there because <laughs> it's ostensibly based on this movie we'll get into that in a second that's the big caveat that i wanted to give is that i i'm in no way unbiased and so yeah, take dan, what i'm about to say with dan is the ghost in the shell fanboy yep we've got that out of the way worshiping at the altar um, of ghost in the shell which I uh, look, and, it, have... and it's deserved i'm not bagging you out because <laughs> okay well look i i'm coming from it from a slightly different perspective and it's only because I haven't watched the original Ghost in the Shell for many, many, many years. I was lucky in that I was able to watch this fairly objectively. However, mm-hmm. there's still a point that I recognise the scenes that they're homaging yeah. and replicating. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, look, I was able to actually step away from this a lot more. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, when I watched this version of it the first time, the distance of time between watching the 95 version and the 2017 version was relatively closer yep. than it is now. So that's another at, six years. That's like basically yeah. like nearly six years. Yeah. So at the time, I was so eager to like this film mm-hmm. that I think it overshadowed a lot of the shit that's in this film. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I really want to see what you think of this movie. Like, what were, what were your takeaways from this movie? This movie, for me, exemplifies everything that's shit about Hollywood. There was one the thing I liked sink. about this film. <laughs> there, was one, <laughs> there was one thing I liked about this film watching it now, mm. and that was the floating holographic fish. It doesn't really make any sense. We, we have to t- go into spoilers here. Yeah, yeah, we're going to so, be we're delving hard into spoilers. We're going look. Let's just go hard, hardcore into spoilers right now. Just go see it. Just go we're, see it. Just, you should have seen it by Netflix. now. So just yeah, get yeah, the fuck Netflix. over spoilers. Essentially, there's a there's an organization called Hanker Robotics. There's a guy called Cutter. He's going into the city, taking out these sort of young folk, essentially putting their brains into robotic bodies. He's and most tried of this fail. And most of which which have failed. failed. Yeah, we find out that almost 100 have failed until they get to the main character of the film, right? So that's ostensibly the overall arching idea of the film. Now, That's how I broadly see Cutter operating. Yeah, I think that's a pretty good Well, the plot of the film, in in essence, Mm. is is that. Is is that they're trying to put people's brains into robotic bodies, making good weapons, perfect weapons. 
Now, and I think a, a, the key thing as well is that it's it's done without consent, and I, I don't want to hijack your, your point here, but sure. constantly saying I consent to this deletion or I consent sure. to this thing. Consent yep. is a big thing. And it is. by them taking effectively, these are the people they're taking are not just homes, but they they tend to be Luddites or kind of hippie types. Yeah. You know, people who are on the, in the lawless zone and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's all about taking them without consent, you know, and I think that's a, a kind of the nub of the thing. So I didn't take, I didn't get any of that theme at all. I, mm. I just heard her constantly saying, I give consent, I give consent. Now that you say it, yep. sure. It's probably a theme. It wasn't that strong a theme, unfortunately, the for me. You can, the fact that you can miss it and it's kind of open to interpretation, I think, points to one of the weaknesses of the film. Points to the yeah. one shit aspect of many shit aspects of this film. <laughs> the counteracts the first scene we see. Dr. Ulay, I think is Juliet mm-hmm. Binoche. She's saying, you know, the character of Major, played by Scarlett Johansson, having a human brain makes her intuitive and makes her imaginative and makes her think for herself. Everything that goes against the notion of creating a perfect weapon. But Cutter's still like, yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're still doing this. We're going ahead. So that was just shit. And then we have the first scene with uh, Major crashing into the building, infiltrating yeah. the the geishas who are hacking the head, yeah. one of the head of lead designers or something, of, mm-hmm. of Hanker. Yep. And so she's shooting the geishas. She shoots one in the face, which obviously doesn't have a human brain in it. And she's like yep. looking at her arm like, Oh my God! Are we are we the same? And 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 actually have Batu walk over and say, "Hey, you're not the same as that." Yeah. You may as well say it down the, the lens. You know, yeah. hey everyone yeah. out there, just so you guys know, oh, they're, they're not the same. You know, like like <laughs> that that one there's like a, just a robot, and that's gone crazy. Or that's programmable. And but, but we're, she's we're not talking like about that, guys. what is she's it to be like human? That. Is that coming through? Is, is that getting through to you in the audience? That we're talking about what do you, what does it mean to be human? You, if you, could you get it. You get it. You get it. Is that, is that it? Yeah. You want more? Yep. The whole bit where she gets hacked because she wants to find out where Kuze is, the, oh, the yeah. guy who's yeah, sort yeah. of attacking Hanker. So she gets <laughs> yeah. hacked, and the imagery is like she's she's essentially just taken mm-hmm. over by this mm-hmm. virus. And then she sits up, and she's fine. No, now, that's, that's the scene. Just to clarify, this is yeah. this is one of the things that really t- ticked me off about Please. this. She's trying to hack this guy, but she gets counter-hacked and sort of taken over. And Batau is next to her saying to Dr. Ulay, pull her out, pull her out. And she's like, oh, my God, I can't. And instead, he just yanks the frigging cable out. Well, if it was that easy to just pull the plug, what's the big deal? Where are the rules and limitations with this universe, guys? Like, come on. It's a small plot point because it, uh, visually it makes sense. But as soon as you think about it for five seconds, it's like, well, what are the rules here? There's no like, logic to it. Was she, no. was she damaged? Was her personality damaged by this? Apparently not, fire? because she just gets up and Apparently walks away, not. and she's she perfectly fine. Up, walks it off like like she's yeah. just stubbed her toe or something. It's- we have a scene where they go to that bar, that nightclub, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, but Batal is at the bar. The barman is essentially yeah. a Terminator. This guy is more robot than than human, right? You can see through this <laughs> yeah. this fucker, right? You can assume that this guy walks around in society, you know, and you go, "Wow, look at this guy! He's he's ninety percent mm. robot." But then Major goes to presumably she's like a sex worker in the street that she meets yeah. that woman, and she goes, mm. "Are you all human?" And the woman goes, "Yes," and they go inside, and the woman is just so transfixed by Major, she's like, "What are you?" And it's like, "How can you be that perplexed?" Right. When essentially there's a freaking Terminator serving you at a bar. Yeah. It's like, what do you mean, what are you? Okay, so she's 100% robot with a brain. The guy down Mm. the road is freaking 98% robot with a brain. Yeah, and he looks more shocking. 
because and, he, and he, he looks, looks like a machine. He looks like, more like press the glaze. Shit, what are you, right? Yeah. So the only thing I can think of to be charitable to this is oh, it's, that, give un- it some it's charity. that it's the uncanny valley effect. So the dude who's walking around like a printing press on legs, it's like it's <laughs> yeah. so inhuman, it's easy to view it as not human. But because uh, Major, who's, yeah, she's Major at this point, not Major Kusanagi. I have to get used mm-hmm. to that because mm-hmm. that's a whole thing. Sorry, mm-hmm. spoilers. Major is an android. Like, she's, she, sorry, a gynoid. She's a, she is a robot. She's a machine. But she's so well made that she looks almost human, it, like a natural human. And so mm-hmm. being charitable... Mm-hmm. The, the prostitute sees her as something quite unsettling or awe-inspiring because she's so close to being human but still not quite there, and that's why she says, what are you? Kind of like in, in the original Blade Runner, because there's, obviously there's going to be comparisons to Blade Runner, J.F. Sebastian says, what are you? Roy Batty says, we're Nexus 6, and he's like, ah, oh, I knew it. you know And he's that's what he's doing. He's like, what are you? You know, he's he wants to clarify what you are. Like he's clearly an android or clearly a replicant, but like what I'll see your point. what are you something? So mm. I mm. I am giving this, I am being very charitable, and I'm gonna get to why this is kind of a problem in a second, but mm-hmm. that that's mm. what I saw. Cause I actually liked the scene by itself, and again, we'll we'll get to this. The scene by itself actually isn't too bad. The way it's shot and everything, I thought it was quite weirdly unsettling but in the context of the rest of the film it doesn't make any friggin' sense no. why would she no. be doing if you take it away if you just if it was just like some uni movie you know some student movie short where they just have two actors a robot exploring what it is to touch that mm. has some weight to it if you take it just totally in the abstract just that to- that one scene by itself that would be okay that's that's okay but we know that robots are walking around like mm. people have computers in their head as a matter of course. It's this juxtaposition of the things that could have been good that are totally undermined by the rest of the things that make it kind of crap. I'm being really charitable here, but that's that's the only thing I can think of. But you're right. It doesn't make any sense in the context. You raise a really good point. It's just bizarre. It's almost as if they deliberately miss going further. They don't want to go further. It's almost as if the filmmakers were scared to go explore this in any deep fashion. I don't know why. Right. Now, let me ask you a question. Does the major feel anything? In the tactile sense? Yeah. I, I kind of imagine that it would be entirely possible and useful for uh, someone to have that sense because otherwise you're not going to know if you're injured, you're not going to know what kind of surface you're standing on. Let me just so raise something see. with you. When she was getting her arm healed up, Dr. Ulay was healing up her arm and she asks Major, how do you feel? And the Major says, you know, I don't feel anything. Do you remember that? I don't, but... She just says it outright. She says, you know, I don't feel anything. And she goes, no, in here, right? Right. Okay, so, so the context yeah, is... So she's basically saying is, that she has no tactile feeling. Well... So it's like a huge plot hole. Yeah, I mean, why the context... Is touching this, why is she touching this woman's lip? The major is not feeling anything. Plus, it doesn't make any sense. She goes to the nightclub. This. She gets electrocuted with a friggin' cattle prod. And she's going... Yeah. Ah! Go swimming in the harbour. Uh, uh, this is says, another thing about... How does it, how, what's it like down there? She goes, hmm. it's cold. How do you know it's cold? And, and you're right. You they can't feel. further with this. Okay, let's be charitable again. And let's say... You can be charitable. Scene, I'm not. It, well, I'm, try, I'm trying to think what but would I like, have made this work. But I like that what you're, you're being this... nice about this. <laughs> yeah, me, me, the the fan of the '95 one who's like going to be the one like who's dead inside, like scourging. Yes, scourging this one. Yes, with with glee, you know. Yes, with, with happy tears streaming down my face. Well, I've got to do something with my Tuesday night. She she has no sense of tactile feeling. She goes to see this this escort and starts touching her lips. 
she's trying to imagine what that sensory data would be, what that feeling would be like. And so she's asking her, how does that feel? That's something okay, I, didn't, so that's, I did not consider. That's, that's one. That's cool. But when she says, well, he goes, oh, what's it like down there? And she goes, it's cold. And just leave it at that. Instead, focus up on the fact that she's a machine and say, well, my suit tells me it's, you know, one degree above freezing. Mm-hmm. So I guess mm-hmm. it's, so I guess it's cold. Mm-hmm. Like that would really reinforce the fact that, yeah, what is it to feel cold? It, you could even cut away at that point, possibly, yeah, but it would could. be better to to have her say, you know, I feel like they did. And this is where we get into comparisons with the original movie. She, it's inevitable. If you didn't want the comparisons, Same. don't call it Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> call it something else. In fact, it's- if you had taken this film, I'm kind of jumping ahead a bit. If you took this and called it something else, if you called it Cyber Runner 57, we would have been a lot more charitable to it. And even if you said this was inspired by the original movie, I would have been a lot more forgiving to it. But not really, because I'm I'm picking it it's illogical. The whole thing well, yeah, is illogical. Yeah, it needs there's a like lot of even on its own merits. Let's look at um Kuze. She eventually comes face to face with Kuze and yep. he's he's this young guy who says, Hey, I'm getting back at them because that I'm a failure. They just threw me out. They threw me to the gutter. So that's why I'm coming after these guys, right? Okay, justifiable. There's justifiable reason. Justifiable well, reason, but like uh, if he's if he's like a failed killing machine. Why did they throw him out? Kill him, put him in a trash compactor. You uh, wouldn't let it just you wouldn't throw it in the trash. Just let it go. Trash. Well, maybe he escaped. Okay, whatever. I'm being a bit charitable now. I shouldn't be. But basically, here we have the irony, right? The actual a- absolute irony of this part. Now, this is mm. played by the actor who played Cousé. There's a line where he says, "I'm not as beautiful as you," and he, and he pulls right. Yeah, you know, he's right off and he's sort of okay. half. Now, the irony here is that he's actually played by a model who was the face of Prada. And, and not only that, but like- <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Yeah, because in universe, the, the conventional standards of beauty would be very different because there are people walking yeah. around openly with mechanical limbs and mechanical- Exactly. Stuff. It, it is it is as common as having a phone or glasses. It's it's, it's just, it's not a big deal. So what, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Cutter is mm. in the office. But he's a hologram. He mm-hmm. sort of disseminates. He, he disappears after yeah, the meeting. Yeah. But Batao actually goes to confront him and possibly, like, assault him because he gets all revved mm-hmm. up. And, and But he knows he's a hologram. Illogical. <laughs> but it's only because we find out at the end that the yeah. cutter was a hologram. It's, yeah. yeah the, you would not confront like- a hologram at the end. She's got the whole speech. So, they, they yeah, she gives consent for them to kill Cutter. Okay, look, I'm, I'll gloss over the tank means. scene. I did appreciate the tank spider tank scene. Pretty cool. Nowhere near as intense as the original, but I did like it objectively in this film. I yeah. actually thought it was a pretty cool sequence. So she gives consent for her boss to kill Cutter. Then she gives this speech. The major gives this speech like, humanity is our virtue as she continues to be a soldier taking orders. Like, I, I just don't. I, yeah. I, I just, and exactly. And taking orders to execute people with summary justice. This is what sucks to execute does. people knowing that I'm evolved. <laughs> like what? Right? What? Is the the whole thing about section 9 is that <clears throat> there are um that's me I'm are a, a law enforcement agency that kind of sits above the law. They they yeah. they're there to they're basically the strong arm of the diplomatic corps or the intelligence corps. Section nine are the ones that do the dirty work. They're the ones that do the wet work. What does that say about their humanity? Like it's it's, it's this it's Nothing. this Hollywoodized thing. You've really gone into the weeds with this film. 
like I said, I'm a fan. Even watching it again now, as you say, with a much more critical eye compared to when it first came out, I'm still – this is my problem with movies. A, a boom mic can drop into the middle of frame and I won't see it if I'm engaged in the movie. I cannot – I do not pick up continuity errors unless they're really – like if I pick up continuity errors in your movie, your movie has some really bad continuity errors because I go in boots and all. I get really sucked in, even with some pretty ordinary movies. I can suspend my disbelief really easily. The the main thing, and I, I thought this when I first watched the movie and I, I just really reiterated it, reaffirmed it when I watched it the other week, it seems that the people who made the movie did not know what they were doing. Not that they were incompetent, although given the plot holes you've mentioned, maybe they were. Are we making a prequel? Are we making a sequel? Is it a reboot? Is it a remaster? What is it? Mm. Because we have this curious situation where obviously they are recreating a lot of very recognisable scenes from the film, the original 1995 film. And that is, arguably, that is the biggest thing that it focuses on. It doesn't focus on the story. The characters are okay. The acting, I thought, was okay as well. I think Scarlett Johansson, if you'd given her a decent script, I think she could have absolutely smashed it. I, I think all that was okay, but instead they didn't focus on any of that stuff. It was simply a case of fan service and focusing on recreating scenes from the, 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 fam- the famous cult classic Ghost in the Shell film. And there are so many of them. And I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie, I, I did like seeing some of these scenes recreated lovingly in live action. Some of them were really good. But that's kind of where my affection for the film just falls away. There's there's a couple of things that I do have an affection for this film. I do have a liking for this film, but they're very small. When it does stray from the original, uh, I felt the scenes were actually pretty good. Like just the way it looks, it's simultaneously a grittier aesthetic than Blade Runner 2049, which actually came out, I mean, you know, a year or two later. I found Ghost in the Shell 2017, the live action, I found it to be a grittier aesthetic and with the full building-sized holograms everywhere, I actually found it to be kind of more cyberpunk than Blade Runner 2049. Blade Runner 2049 tended to focus more on the post-apocalyptic sort of angle, but I felt like Ghost in the Shell aesthetically really tapped into a kind of a, a low-budget, gritty look for cyberpunk, which I quite... which. I liked, but that has nothing to do with the storytelling. That just it, that just means that your production crew is on point and that you have some money behind you. And why do you have money? Well, we'll get to that, I can tell you. So, Kusanagi in the original film, and we should probably say that uh, at the beginning of the film, her name is Mira. We find out that her name is actually Motoko Kusanagi. She says, you know, at the end of it, it's, it's this big thing of, my name is Major Kusanagi and I consent to this blah, blah blah whatever so theoretically she has rediscovered her identity as oh my real identity is motoko kusanagi and that's how we end out the film okay so it's like oh is this a prequel and then what we see in 1995 that film that's where her life starts but it isn't obviously it isn't because there are so many scenes that are so faithfully recreated in this film like with the spider tank like with the thing where the, the she's chasing that dude down the dark alley, you know, down the alley mm-hmm. and into the water and she punches him out. This is clearly trying to be the same film, but just a retelling of it. Okay. But then if it's a retelling of it, you need to keep some things the same. And one thing they didn't keep the same was Kusanagi herself or Major or Mirror Killing, whatever you want to call it. Because when she, to take that example where she's chasing that guy, chases him into the water and she beats the daylights out of him. That is one of many iconic scenes in the original movie where it's kind of hard at first to tell what's going on because this guy's like fighting no one. 
but we don't realize like it's Kusanagi in this is in the 1995 animation she's wearing um thermoptic camouflage so she's invisible and we do briefly see her shadow but she's basically beating the daylights out and it's this weird situation where this guy's getting beaten up by something invisible and she knocks him down and that's it he's arrested in the live action film she beats him down and then starts wailing on him. She, she loses control. And Battelle's like runs up to her and says, no, no, don't you kill him. And it's like, here's my biggest problem with that. In the original film, which we have to compare it to because you picked the title, guys. You didn't call it Cyber Runner or something like that. You called it Ghost in the Shell, guys. You wanted this comparison. She-Robot. <laughs> She-Robot. Oh, God. <laughs> In the original film, one of the key defining traits or the the key defining traits of Kusanaki is she is consummately professional, very, very capable. And above all, she's in control and brave. All of those things that (laughs) Kusanaki is in the 1995 film are absolutely dacked on, just completely ruined because she loses control and beats the daylights out of this guy. She is captured Several times, several times. She's incompetent. She's a physical weapon, which is, that's what she, she recognizes. I'm a weapon. She lets herself get captured and yeah, she beats her way out of it. But Kusanagi from the 95 film wouldn't have got into that situation in the first place. And it's not a, um, this isn't a romantic idea that I have. I'm just saying, if you're going to call your movie Ghost in the Shell, you are inviting the comparison to the original. So here it is, guys. You need to have some respect to the original source material. You need to take at least the lead character. And it's like, if you're going to make the lead character so different, then make it a prequel. Make it so that this is what she used to be. She used to lose control. She used to be incompetent. And then when we close out the live action film, it's like, ah, that's when the events from the 1995 film start. So it's a prequel. Cool. But it obviously isn't. You have just reinvented Kusanagi and reinvented the 95 film, but you've reinvented both of those things to be worse. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you do this? So why was this film made? Are we going to use the 1995 original as a jumping off point? They could have done a really good job of making something new and telling a new story as long as that story was good, and it wouldn't have had these unfavorable comparisons to the original 1995 movie. Is it instead to simply recreate the animated 95? Like, why, why was this film made? Was it to make the live action versions of these beloved characters and see, oh, who have they got to play this character? Who have they got to play Batau? Who have they got, you know, it's always, it's always interesting. I know it's kind of a low effort way of doing it, but it's also kind of cool. And like I said, I think Scarlett Johansson nails it on a lot of fronts. Is it a new take on the same story? So the, the story of the 1995 movie is if, a machine could generate a ghost, a soul. You know, if we, if the machines we are building are so complex and so densely intricate, if they are, so, if they are able to generate their own soul, then what is so special about being human at that point? That is a question that has some merit. So you could tell, take that point and just tell a totally new story. Again, it's none of those things. It's a mess. It's kind of a hodgepodge of all of these things. So this is where we get to. I guess the meat and potatoes. Why was this movie made? To make money, obviously, but the only way a movie can make money now, or the the best way to assure that a movie will make money is to use an existing property. Look at the Marvel Universe. The MCU is no longer 
a franchise leveraging off of the comic counterpart. It's, it's a thing into, unto itself. A new Marvel movie comes out that costs you know some ridiculous amount of money. It will it will make bank because people will go and see it, and studios will only fund those things. So that's the only thing people are going to go and see. It's this circularity. Mm. You know, you look at something like Back to the Future. Back mm-hmm. to the Future was a, a, a new property when it went to the cinemas. Mm-hmm. And it was a hit. The idea of a new property being a hit, I reckon that gives accountants in in producing production studios it'll make them come out in hives the idea of spending mm. big on a, an untested uh, ip they, they just won't do it there has to be something that will that they can assuage their wallet mm. with mm. um you know yeah we're going to spend this money because it's going to involve some famous character or at least some previously recognized character so you know superman or you know, it's going to be some maybe a superhero that hasn't been heard of for a while. It's been you know uh, off the off the screens for a while, long enough to be kind of surprising, but it's still going to be an existing IP or whatever. The reason for this, I think, touches on, and this is this is why I wanted to talk about this film, and this is what I think is the biggest problem, not just with Hollywood, it's the entertainment industry as a whole. I'm talking about movies and also video games because video games actually. Uh, generate more revenue than movies now. The problem with both of these industries, the entertainment industry as a whole, is there is massive concentration of resources. You've got, in the case of game dev, you've got development studios of a thousand people to make one game. That is a hundred million, two hundred million dollars just to make the damn thing. So of course it has to look the best, it has to sound the best, it has to be the biggest. Movies, same thing. We have to go big or we won't touch it. Because we've we are so large now. The idea of making we were talking about sausage party, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago, and that movie really was a commercial success. It cost what ten million or whatever it was, and it made yeah. it made several times that, many times yeah. that. The idea of having say twenty or thirty of those types of films, as opposed to one gargantuan but safe IP like. Avatar Way of Water or the latest Marvel Universe movie. The idea of having a string of smaller successes is just totally unappealing to these guys. It has to go big or go home. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this, I think, is because in greed. every aspect. <laughs> well, it's That's greed, the but they've they've got the tiger by the tail because 20 years ago, there were 11 major media companies in the world, which is a pitifully small number. And they were in the process of merging to become 10. Now there are five. So now that Fox and Disney have merged, this is two of the largest media companies in the world, and it's only going to continue agglomerating like this. These places are so big now. I think that, and this is just purely speculation on my part, I think there's going to be some kind of entertainment industry crash because these this huge these huge organisms of companies cannot support their own weight. And it'll take, you know, a few box office crashes or something will go wrong. And these suddenly they will just disintegrate into a series of smaller studios again. Because can you imagine a world of 7 billion people where most of the entertainment revenue is generated and, of course, sucked up by five companies Mm -hmm. for the entire globe? That is nuts. Simply having a profitable business now is not enough. It has to be growing. Perpetual growth is just not possible. And I think the entertainment industry is rocketing towards a brick wall where there's going to be a point where you just cannot grow anymore. Like what's going to happen? Five media companies merge into four, then into three, then into five. Like what happened? It's 
you can't keep doing this. It's just not possible. There's a phrase for that governments have for banking, for in economic sectors of like banks becoming too big to fail. This is what happened in 2008, 2009. They're like, we can't let these banks fail because if these banks fail, we're talking about economic chaos. So they pumped lots of money into these banks, but they're not going to do that with the entertainment industry. And the reason I bring this up is because the fact that Ghost in the Shell exists at all, this was a movie. Why was it made? See, a lot of these films get up because of who they sign on to it. So Scarlett Johansson would have been a big part of that. Filmworks had looked after the distribution of Ghost in the Shell 2 Innocence under a certain banner called Go Fish Pictures. And right. Spielberg acquired the rights to produce a live-action film adaptation. So you had Spielberg right. jumping in and people go, oh, Spielberg, what's he doing? Margot Robbie was going to be in talks for the role. Oh, okay. And then they made a $10 million offer to Scarlett Johansson for the lead role. She's obviously signed on for a good paycheck mm-hmm. and people have gone, hey, Scarlett Johansson, she's hot right now. What's she doing? Ghost in the Shell. So all of a sudden you've got this film being created, right? I'm not a Marxist. I, I'm 100% on board. I want movies to be successful. I want people who work in movies to get well, paid. I want good movies to be successful, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Make good shit, not this shit. I feel like this was less to do with someone having like a creative spark that said, I've got this really cool idea that I want to put on film. And it wasn't, it wasn't. And instead I feel like there was a case. I can only imagine there are people whose job it is to say, okay, we own these IPs. This one's been dormant for a while, so it could be good to bring back. If it had been somewhat auteur driven, I think you could have got away with even like a lower budget and everything and lesser name actors and all that kind of stuff. And it would have still worked, hundred percent. There's no reason it could. Sure, sure, work. sure. But that's not what this was driven by. It wasn't. Instead, no, it's like not well, we're not. We're not going to get someone. We're not going to get an actress who. We're not just going to get any actress who looks like Mataka yeah. Kusanagi. We're yeah, going to get Scarlett Johansson because yeah. she's hot property yeah. right now. Yeah, and. She does, you know, she definitely has, in, you know, with a wig and all that, we can definitely make her look very much like Kusanagi. Um, Whitewashed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, okay. I, I think we need to touch on that. I'm not going to talk about it too much because if anyone who's seen any Ghost in the Shell anime, you tell me what's Asian about Kusanagi aside from her name. She doesn't look Asian at all. I know. It is, it is an interesting point, Asian. isn't it? Yeah, because people jumped on that. Asian. Well, just because it's Japanese and, origin and Japanese I know, producers, I know. but I, I get what you mean. I mean, it's I didn't but, really worry about that too much. Uh, no, neither did I, because uh, she looked even from like the shorts and the the, the trailers and. The, I think the, she suited the, the role pretty good. Sort of, yeah, yeah, I th- yeah. yeah. I, I honestly think what hobbled her was the, the story, the, the role that they gave her, the the, the script yeah. that they gave her. If they had literally just recreated the '95 movie, just shot for shot, yeah, Kate, it would have been kind of disappointing. But it picked us. Like it would have, it would have been. Perfect. Oh yeah. yeah. The, the plot, the plot holes that you mentioned before wouldn't be there for a start. Well, because um, I, when I thought about this, I went, I went away and thought about this for a while. I said, look, I have to, I have to do a bit of a comparison here. What is missing here apart from the the deep issues? And when I looked at it, Ghost in the Shell 2017 is all about her exploring the, her past, where she's from, who she is. Yeah. Goes to the show in 95. <laughs> yeah, I know. But <laughs> not. But in 90, the 95 goes in the shell. It's about her evolution going forward, mm-hmm. like transcending, becoming another phase of humanity, be exploring yeah. those issues going forward. But a 17 film just goes backwards. It's a waste of fucking time. <laughs> Mamora Oshi, the director of the original 
anime. Even he said there's no basis for this, and he wasn't really re- he wasn't involved in the movie at all. I think he may have done some compul. Uh, some, I'm shocked. Uh, We're going to make yeah, this film based on your your original film. No, don't do it. Thank you. He, but he was fine with it. This is the thing. He was he okay. was fine with it, and, you got and check. he even said <laughs> he even said there's there's no basis. For this for the accusation of whitewashing so he was perfectly fine oh okay with i thought there was no i thought you meant no, there's no, 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 no basis to make the film <laughs> well there's no basis to make this film i think in the end i think i've come away from this uh come away you know looking at our two takes on this i've actually come away from this more favorably than you have oh jesus in the final analysis Christ, yeah. i think i oh. think I think I couldn't you've stand it. Destroyed it. I loved the. I love the effects in this. The effects are excellent. They are like when you're flying notch. through the city and the there's the, oh, the yeah. kind of cyberpunk hologram adverts just everywhere. Oh, I love it, them. That, love that was the thing. The holographic adverts are just everywhere. Whereas I felt in Blade Runner twenty forty not twenty forty nine yeah twenty forty nine. I felt like they were a bit. I felt like it was the whole thing was a bit sterile. Very good film and definitely better than the one we've just talked about. Do we give a frick about Ghost in the Shell 2017? I don't give a frick about this film. Yeah. Again, see it out of curiosity, but if you really want a a good cyberpunk film, and actually a, a cyberpunk, I was thinking about this, someone brought up, uh, they were talking about, oh, this this thing, this is talking about some other property, not Ghost in the Shell. They're saying, oh, yeah, so this property is set in a cyberpunk dystopia. You know, just once I'd like to see a cyberpunk utopia. What would that look like? <laughs> and I thought that's an interesting point. And I thought, and someone in the comments posted, mm, probably Ghost in the Shell. I'm like, that's probably the closest thing to a cyberpunk utopia you would ever see. Possibly, possibly. The 95 version of Ghost in the Shell. Go watch that. It is a fantastic film. And don't be put off by the people who say, oh, you have to watch the Japanese dub. But you don't. You, you absolutely don't. do not. No, you don't. Unless you speak Japanese fluently, you really do not. You are doing yourself a disservice. Um, Would you give a freak yeah. about 2017 Ghost in the Shell? No. I can't I can't bring myself to give a freak. So uh, that was Ghost in the Shell 2017, unfortunately. Unfortunately.